Philistine threat continues to grow. Now they have a new champion. Goliath. God's people. I'll do it. David. You're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. As I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. Need this. I'll be better without it. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. keep going so you could see his head chopped off. Be, be honest. I was online and I, w I, f I saw some David and Goliath 
kids colouring in sheets, right? And here's one. Look how graphic that is. You can actually colour in the blood. Now, we don't have... Ours at Kids Church are not quite so graphic. Ours are a little bit tamer. Next one. Yeah, this is the ones we use, okay? You might. Now, the story of David and Goliath is one of my favourite stories in the Bible. Uh, how many kids have heard this story and then imagined themselves being David, swinging that sling around and bringing their Goliath down? Have you ever imagined that? I still do it at my age, right? I love it. And it's a, f- a favourite story, especially among kids who are being bullied as they... Imagine bringing their own Goliath down, dreaming of bringing their own Goliath down. Now, the story of David and Goliath has become part of popular culture, right? Uh, It's the classic underdog tale. Little guy with no chance beats big guy and wins. Hollywood makes millions of dollars out of underdog stories, right? Like uh, Rocky, who brings down his Goliath. Right, he brings down his Goliath. And people who don't even know the Bible, they know about the David and Goliath stories. All right? And the take-home message from these movies is, you can beat your giants too. In Christian circles, teaching on this story is often not much different. Uh, here are a couple of examples. Defeating your Goliath. Slaying the giants in your life starts with you. Low self-esteem, depression, illness, divorce, failure, disappointment. Uh, Another one, five stones conquering your giants. Pick up the five stones of commitment, courage, communication, capability, confidence, and you will conquer your giants. Their take-home message is what? Be like David and you will defeat your giants too. Now, is that what the story of David and Goliath is all about? Well, whenever we read the Bible, we need to remember a crucial interpretive principle which Jesus gave us so we can read the Bible properly. He said this, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me, to have life. You see, all Scripture testifies to Jesus Christ. Uh, The Bible is not a collection of stories. It's one story about God's plan to rescue his people through Jesus Christ. And so we haven't rightly read any passage of Scripture unless we read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Right? So... When we do that with the story of David, we'll see that the take-home message is not be like David and you will defeat your giants too because the Bible says you can't defeat your giants. You can't do it. So what is the take-home message? Well, let's have a look together. Uh, You may have expected Pastor Ben to be up here tonight. He's got COVID, just so you know. Uh, uh, he's not too unwell, I don't believe, but he's got COVID. Uh, it, was a, it was a gift from his wife. And, uh, but he's going to be back on Monday. So we did do the first talk in the, uh, on Elisha. Uh, and uh, he likes to do those ones himself. And so he's asked me to step in. And so we, I thought we'd have a look at this talk tonight. And I hope and, and I believe that it's going to be a great blessing for us. 
Uh, before we uh, continue, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for two things tonight. I'm going to pray, continue to pray for uh, the war in the Ukraine, and I'm going to pray for our new government. So will you join me as we pray for these important issues? Father in heaven, we pray for the war in Ukraine. We know that this war is, being, is prolonged. It is going on longer than anyone wants. And we read every day of more lives being lost on both sides. And Father, we ask you now that you would bring an end to this war, that you would minimize the loss of life the loss of, and, and the destruction of the Ukraine. We pray you'd give the leaders wisdom as they navigate in the next few uh, days and weeks. We pray, Lord, for the relief efforts for the Ukrainian refugees. And we ask, Lord, that they would be welcomed in and that they would experience the love of Christ. And Father, we pray for our new government. We pray for our new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and we pray, Lord, that he would lead with integrity, with honesty, with wisdom. We pray for our new members of Parliament who are Christians. We ask, Lord, that you might use them to speak your, uh, to live a Christian life and to speak when given the opportunity about you and about your good news. Father, we thank you for the democracy that we live in and we pray, Lord, that that might be maintained. And pr Father, we just pray that you'd be with us tonight as we sit under your word and we pray, Lord God, that you might give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this story is very well known. Uh, most people know this story uh, really well. However, I think, uh, hopefully, I'm not, I'm not going to change the story, but I think we might see a couple of new insights tonight. So um, that's my prayer. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. You can say Philistines or Philistines, it doesn't matter. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So the Philistines were the, were the bitter enemies of ancient Israel. The bitter enemies. They lived in the coastal plains of Canaan. I'll show you the slide. And they raise an army, gather an army, and they move east up into the mountains to fight Israel. King Saul comes down from the east, down the mountains, to confront, uh, confront Israel at the valley. Now... The Israelites dig in along the northern ridge and the Philistines dig in along the southern ridge and the two armies sit there for weeks and stare at each other because they are deadlocked, right? It's a Mexican standoff because neither can attack the other because if you're going to attack the other, you've got to come down one mountain into the valley, up the other side of the other mountain and you leave yourself completely exposed, right? So they can't... No one can move. To break the deadlock, the Philistines send their mighty champion, Goliath, to challenge Israel's mighty champion to have it out, just the two of them. Now, this was a tradition. Can we go back? That's not quite. Yeah. Just back to the other side of the picture. Thank you. This was a tradition in ancient warfare 
as a way of settling disputes without the bloodshed of a major battle, right? So th that's why he comes out. They want to, not everyone has to die, let's just have it out, the two of us. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, a cubit is an ancient measure from your elbow to the end of your middle finger, which actually, if you think about it, is actually a really convenient way of measuring things. And a span is a span of your hand. So, if you put that together, six cubits and a span is nine feet, nine inches, almost three meters tall. So if he played basketball, his head would be just about touching the ring. Now, was he really that tall? Uh, the tallest man in modern times was a guy called Robert Wadlow, who stood an impressive 8 feet 11 inches. Right? He's the guy on the right. Now, he had gigantism. He had gigantism from a tumour. And in fact, most modern giants, like Andre the Giant, next slide, they have gigantism from a tumour. And so people speculate, perhaps that's what Goliath had too. Either way, Goliath was not a big friendly giant. He was a big unfriendly giant. Have a look in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, none of the Israelite soldiers dared to fight Goliath. It would be a death wish to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a 10-foot hulk like Goliath, right? Would you want to go out and fight him? Even Israel's biggest and best, who was King Saul, he didn't budge when Goliath made the challenge, pretended not to hear. What? Uh, Goliath was chosen to be king. Do you remember why? Because, sorry, Saul. Saul was chosen to be king. Why? Because he was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites, which is not a good reason to choose a king. And if you keep reading, you'll, you, you'll see that's not a good reason to choose a king. But Saul is paralyzed with fear because even though he's head and shoulders above the other Israelites, Goliath is head and shoulders above him. Then out of the silence and out of the fear, a young boy named David offers to fight Goliath. He's small in stature, not trained as a soldier, and he was only at the battlefield. Why? Because he was bringing food for his older brothers. And we continue the story. Verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. 
Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you have come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, likely including the chief Philistine god, Dagon. And here's a picture of this god. And this has significance later in the story, right? So he defies David by his god, Dagon. And by invoking the Philistine gods, Goliath signals the true dimension of this battle. More than just Philistines versus Israelites, this is the God of the Philistines, the false God, versus the true God of Israel. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. In ancient warfare, there were three kinds of soldiers. There was the cavalry, those that rode on horses or in chariots. There were the infantry, those who were foot soldiers with a shield and a sword. And then there was the artillery, those who were the archers or those with a sling. A sling uh, was made up of a pouch with two cords attached and you would, sling, you would swing that sling in an arc and then when you released one of the, uh, one of the cords, the projectile would be slung forward. Now you could get up to speeds of 160 kilometers an hour or 45 meters a second. It had the equivalent stopping power of some handguns. The biggest sling stones could literally take off the top of your head. Uh, history records that slingers could hit a target up to 400 meters away. So there, that's the other side, where we're having the picnic tomorrow, right? The other side of the school. They could hit birds in flight. And the scriptures tell us in Judges chapter 20, among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hare and not miss. And that's not a rabbit, that's a hare. Now, if you look through the history of ancient warfare, you will find that time and time again, slingers were the decisive factor against infantry, foot soldiers. Goliath is what? He is infantry. And his expectation when he challenges the Israelites is that he is going to fight another infantryman. That's why he says, come, come to me and fight. Also, that's what King Saul thought. That's why he gave uh, uh, David his shield. He thought that an infantryman was going to fight Goliath. But David's not going to fight Goliath hand to hand. Why would he? Right? Why would he? He's a shepherd and a sling was the weapon of choice for a shepherd. Fending off animals. And as we, as we heard read, David spent his entire career using a sling to defend his sheep from wolves and lions. So when David lines up against Goliath, he has every intention and every expectation that he is going to hit Goliath on the forehead at his most vulnerable point. The Israelites thought that Goliath was too big to beat. David thought that Goliath was too big to miss. Goliath brought a knife to a gunfight. Now in the movies, as we saw before, Goliath is usually depicted as swinging his sword around, kind of giving David all the time he needs to load his stone, sling it, 
aim, fire and hit him, right? As if Goliath didn't know how devastating a sling was. But Goliath knew exactly how devastating slingers were. They were part of the army, right? They, were, they brought down infantry, inf, the infantry. So he knew how devastating slingers were. So what was it that didn't get him to arm up? Well, in his arrogance, when he sees David, he doesn't imagine that a boy his size, not old enough to be in the army, could be a threat, even with a sling. And so David pounces on Goliath's underestimation of him, doesn't he? Verse 48, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and timber. He fell face down on the ground. David ran over and stood, up and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Now remember, if you remember 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines defeat the army of Israel at that time, and they capture what? The Ark of the Covenant. And where do they put it? They put it in the temple of the Philistine god Dagon. What happens the next day when they go in? Yeah, the statue is on its face, Bowing, as if it's bowing down before the ark. They pick it back up. The next day, it's down again, bowing before God's ark with its head broken and its arms broken. Goliath swears by his god Dagon, the false god Dagon, and has the same ending as the false god Dagon. So what is this story of David and Goliath about for you and for me? Very familiar story. Well, most Christian talks and books on this passage encourage us to identify with David. Be like David. Have faith in God. Have faith that God will be with you and you will defeat your giants in life, whatever they are. Depression, debt, unemployment. But when you read the story of David in its context, we see that there's something unique about David which cannot apply to you and me. David is the one who immediately prior to the, to the Goliath episode is anointed as God's future king. Have a look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David is anointed as a future king of Israel. And the Spirit of God, he receives to do the mighty deeds of salvation for his people. This Spirit of God is the source of his God-centeredness. It's the source of his courage. It's the source of his skill to be able to hit Goliath between the eyes first shot. So when it comes to David's slaying of Goliath, David does it as the unique anointed one of God. In this sense, we can't identify with David. He is the unique anointed one. We are not the unique anointed one. In fact, who can we identify with in the story? We're the helpless soldiers on the sideline, terrified of fighting the giant. They're, that's us on the sideline. 
Our knees are knocking, right? We can't fight Goliath. We need a saviour to defeat the giant for us. So David, God's anointed one, kills the giant, the enemy of God's people, while the ordinary people like you and I stand by until we can share in the fruits of David's victory. So the message is not be like David and you will defeat your giants too. David doesn't say to the other soldiers, hey, now I've defeated Goliath, you copy me and you go defeat your giants. No, David is not an example for them. He is their deliverer. He is their champion. They can't beat the giant, but their champion has done it for them. Now, remember the interpretive principle for reading the Bible which Jesus gave us. All Scripture points to Him. So, let's look through the lens of the Jesus lens. David is God's anointed one, Israel's champion. He points to Jesus, the anointed one, our champion. David receives a Spirit of God to do mighty deeds for the saving of Israel. Jesus is conceived by the Spirit of God to do mighty deeds for the salvation of the world. The Israelites were on the sidelines, helpless to defeat the giant Goliath. We are helpless to defeat the giants of Satan, sin and death. That's what the Bible says our giants are, right? Satan, sin and death and we can't beat them. David wins the victory at the point where he seems to be about to suffer total defeat. Jesus' death on the cross appears to be a failure, it appears to be defeat. But it's here that he wins the victory over Satan, sin and death. David wins through his weakness, right? Because he's small, because he's laughable, Goliath goes in unguarded. Jesus wins through weakness through being beaten, through being laughed at, through being executed. David was his people's champion. David won, and so his people won, even though they didn't even lift a finger. It wasn't, had nothing to do with their ability, their performance. It had everything to do with David's performance. Jesus is our champion. He won, and so we win. His victory is imputed to us even though we didn't lift a finger. It's not about our performance, our ability. It's about Jesus' performance. Hebrews 11, you remember, is the great list of the heroes of the faith. And if you, if you know the passage, it says, Remember Noah, the great man of faith. Remember Abraham, the great man of faith. Remember Moses, the great man of faith. Remember David, the great man of faith. But fix your eyes on Jesus the champion of our faith. It's saying, remember David, but fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the true champion to whom David pointed. And it goes on in Hebrews chapter 12, just verse 1. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the word there is champion, the champion and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured 
the cross. Jesus defeated the giants of Satan, sin and death on that tortuous cross. Why? Because he saw the joy that awaited him for all eternity. If Jesus is your champion, then the, the, the giants of Satan, sin and death have been defeated. Whatever happens in your life, whatever valley you have to go through, however hard life is, no matter how dark it is for you, your future is, going, is guaranteed. It's going to be okay because Jesus is your champion and joy is on its way. See, what are your greatest fears in life? What are your greatest fears in life? We don't want to lose love. We don't want to lose our life. We don't, we don't want to get sick. We don't want to die. We don't want to lose our health. You don't want to lose your, your wealth, your security, right? But the only debt that can really hurt you has already been paid by your champion, Jesus. The debt of sin, it's already been paid. The only disease that actually can hurt you and destroy you has already been healed by your champion, Jesus. Nothing can shake your eternal security with Jesus as your champion. And that means whatever happens, joy is on its way. Joy is on its way. And so this gives us the resources to be able to fight the lesser giants in life. Fear, suffering, disappointment, failure, criticism, hardship. Right? And they're very real in each of our lives. We can fight the lesser giants because Jesus has defeated the greater giants. Let me give you a couple of examples. We can fight the lesser giant of fear with the deep security that knows that Jesus is our champion and no matter what happens, he goes before us, right? We can fight the lesser giant of disappointment. We all face disappointments in life. I've had a big disappointment recently. I uh, applied to be senior pastor at church here and I didn't get to the final round. I was really disappointed. I was gutted. But how, why did I get over it? And I did get over it. Why did I get over it? Because I have the deep assurance that I am in Christ. And if you're in Christ, because God supremely loves and blesses his son Jesus, if you're in Christ, that means he supremely loves and blesses you because you're in his son. And I have everything that is of value in Christ. So when you know that deep in your bones, you can stand before the failure giant, the disappointment giant, the fear giant, the hardship giant, any lesser giant that comes your way, because the real giants that you can't fight have been dealt with by the Lord Jesus, by your champion, and joy is on its way. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, can I just let you know that you can't beat your giants. Satan, sin and death, you can't beat them on your own. You need Christ. You might think you can live without Christ, but you certainly can't die without him. Jesus is our champion. He's defeated the giants of Satan, sin and death, which means we can face our lesser giants with full assurance that he goes ahead of us and joy is on its way. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of David and Goliath, the most remarkable story. We thank you that you have defeated our giants of Satan, sin and death, the giants that we could not defeat. And I pray for each person here tonight that they would know you as their champion, the one who has gone ahead of them. Help us to see that because you've defeated our giants, nothing can shake our eternal security with you. And whatever happens to us in life, joy is on its way. And help us to know that deep in our bones. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, can I just encourage you with all that I have to put your faith in Christ. You can't beat Satan, sin and death on your own. And so if you push Christ away, there will come a time when you will die and you will have to face your sins. Face God with your sins and you can't stand before him in judgment. But you can throw your sins on the Lord Jesus and he will take them as your champion. Put your trust in him today.